I was the youngest of ten. And now my father was a very strict man. I never caught it. I never had a young man. I was never allowed out. But he'd get me between his knees and he'd say, come here. You're the youngest of ten. Five girls and five dogs, but they're all married. But I want you to listen to me. I want to warn you when you grow up, the songs that I'm learning you will be true when you grow up and take warning by them. My father, when you get married, he said, and you have any children, more so sons, don't do what this woman's done when I'm going to sing to you. And that song then, that's my father been there 25 years. That song then was a hundred year old, see? And now he said, now what, when he did say it, I, there was a lady that lived in York, that was she, that was the woman. If I had children, I should be kind to them and don't do what that cruel mother done. That's the way he put it, see? Well, that's how my father told me. So the voice you've just heard is the voice of the late, great traditional singer Cecilia Costello, one of Birmingham's finest, explaining how her father would present this week's song back in her childhood in Victorian England. Now this is a huge song, and even that's an understatement. And it's also a song that really underlines exactly how an old song can remain relevant to a modern audience. It's one of my favourite songs, so I was delighted when my guest Rosie Hood chose it as her subject song for this episode. We had a really amazing conversation, taking in one of the darker songs in the traditional canon, its origins and the various interpretations that it's been given over the years, not to mention the sense of responsibility that one feels as a performer taking it on. Rosie Hood was one of the first singers I got to know when I became interested in traditional music. Born in Wiltshire, she has been singing folk songs since her childhood and continued singing them through her university days in Glasgow. She now lives in Sheffield, where she sang until very recently with the Dovetail Trio. Her solo album, The Beautiful and the Actual, is one of my favourites of the last few years, featuring a beautiful duet of The Cruel Mother, sung with Emily Portman. Now, it's a peculiar twist of fate that this song has cropped up on our schedule around Halloween. And while the song is undoubtedly dark and eerie, it's also incredibly poignant and unbelievably sad. I hope our conversation does not come across as too flippant. It's a hefty tale we're here to tell, and we wanted very much to do it justice. During the conversation, we look at how these old songs can inspire new responses and interpretations, specifically through the gorgeous music of the aforementioned Emily Portman, one of my favourite songwriters. Rosie also talks about the difference between covering a modern song and interpreting a folk song, and why a song might come and stay with you for a while before going and living with someone else. As we've already heard, we're going to explore the background of one of the song's source singers, Cecilia Costello, but also the collecting work of Alfred Williams of the Upper Thames region. I knew very little about him before meeting Rosie, uh, and if you've never heard of a folk singing competition in which a singer might sing for up to 16 hours straight then this might be the podcast for you. In short, to use entirely the wrong word, this is quite a long episode. Uh, You may want to split it into two. However you approach it, I hope it touches you on some level, as I hope all of the episodes from this first series have done. This is the last episode I'll be recording of the Old Songs podcast for a while, 
But it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to the singers who have taken part so far and a real delight introducing these songs to old songs listeners, well, old and new. To play us in then, let's start with The Furrow Collective. This is their version of The Cruel Mother. As she was walking her father's walk, I-O As she was walking her father's walk She saw two pretty babes playing the ball Lay me down, me dilly-dilly downward Down by the greenwood side, oh She said, pretty babes, if you was mine, I-O she said, pretty babes, if you was mine I'd dress you in such silk and fine Lay me down, me dilly-dilly downward Down by the greenwood side, oh I'll be honest, I'm sitting here in a very old room Possibly 700 years old where I'm sitting at the moment And I've been sitting reading about this song and listening to this song and I'm a bit scared. <laughs> yeah, I think that's probably fair enough. <laughs> I am. Um, I already feel slightly haunted by it all, but it's a it's a particularly haunting song, and it's one that um, I mean, usually I, I, I should shut up and let you talk about it. But actually, the first time I think I heard this song was uh, being sung by. Emily Portman, who's a friend of yours, and you've recorded yes. this song with her, right? Yeah, I have. The version that's on my album, mm. Emily is singing harmonies on there. Mm. But this is what's really interesting about this song. It's one of those great songs that is, uh, you've got more than one version, and they almost sound like they could be completely different songs. Yeah. And when, the version that you've that you've done, I'm assuming, and we'll get onto this definitely, but I'm assuming that's the Alfred Williams version. Yes, it is. And the version that I first heard Emily sing was the version collected from Cecilia Costello. Yeah. So it's a great song also because we've got two really interesting people to talk about around the song uh, in, in as much as we've got Cecilia Costello, who is something of a hero of mine. Oh, that's really good because I don't know much about her at all. Okay. So I'll and be really glad to hear what you know. And you know all about Alfred Williams, who I feel like, even though I know your album quite well, I don't know enough about him. So this could be an interesting way to find out about those people. Yeah, perfect. But why? Because obviously when I contacted you and said, let's do this, I said to you, what song would you like to choose? And you said The Cruel Mother. And it is quite a challenging song in so many ways. So I'm interested in why you chose it. Um. Well, I'm interested in songs that feature women. Yeah. Folk songs that feature women and that are often sung by women as well. Yeah. And this one very much ticks those boxes. Um, also, the fact that there's so many versions, mm. I find, is actually really interesting. Since I've done a bit more research, since I suggested it, um, I found even more stuff to look at about it. I think you could research this so much and just write an entire PhD on this one song. I'm sure so, people have tried, right? <laughs> yeah, I think they probably have. Um, mm. But I I enjoy singing it a lot as well. And it's I find it kind of 
fascinating that the folk folk music is so broad there's a huge amount that we sing about and I can't really think of any other place where a song about infanticide would Mm. exist or be appropriate Mm. Um, whereas you introduce it to a a folk audience and sometimes you know people sort of laugh because you know oh yes nice and cheerful let's have a song about infanticide at the Mm. folk club Uh, but I think there's a huge amount that you can actually unpack from the story of the song and the way that women are treated and yeah then the fact that I've got this interesting version from Alfred Williams that is quite different to those other ones yeah mm. I just thought there'd be a lot to to talk about I might have chosen something that's too big we'll have to see certainly as I was sort of trying to look through the research myself it it is of, of all the songs that I've talked about on the old songs podcast this is the one I wouldn't say it's defeated me but it's the one that certainly made me think, whoa, I don't know I don't know how we're going to fit all of this into an hour or an hour and 15 minutes. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. No, no. I mean, that's, We can I, come back I, and I, do I, part two another time. Uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I love it for that. Like, you know, there's, there are so many wonderful things about this song. Um, and as you say, that, that tick the boxes um, for me as a listener, as a performer, um, as somebody who's interested in researching songs, but mainly because it's a song that sort of actually almost, it almost sort of fits a kind of pre-described version of what I think folk music is and was. Like, it's got all of that stuff to do with, you know, songs being passed down. It's clearly sort of travelled. It's clearly uh, morphed in so many ways. It's clearly meant so many different things to so many different people, and it's still sung so regularly. Yeah, it is. Um, it just it just does all of those things. But let's kick it off then. I mean, it's it's just so everybody knows, it's The Cruel Mother, which is, do you know its numbers? Yes, round number nine, child number 20. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> round number nine, child number 20. So, I mean, it's a, yes, it's a, it's a huge child ballad. And actually when I've got the child book, volume one, sitting here on my knee, and there's just so much that he wrote about it. And you get these sort of some child ballads where they'll just be li- little fragments. But this is clearly one that fascinated him as well. Yeah, and absolutely. S- and similarly, you go into, you know, um, I have here, what's it called? The New Penguin Book of English Folk Songs, which is written by Steve Rowd and Julia Bishop. Similarly, you have songs in in this book that... um that you know might might get one or two paragraphs but this gets two possibly three pages yeah there's just so um, much to to say about it i've you saying you've got the the books there i've um i've got my desk sort of full i went i have a i think of it as, as my little personal folk library mm. i've spent the last probably 10 years just picking up folk song books from charity shops and um, from friends when people have had things where they just think I might be interested in it. So I've amassed quite a lot of books. So I whizzed through the database that I've made myself uh, to see which ones had versions of it. And at the moment, I have probably about 10 books 
on my <laughs> desk that all have the cruel mother in. Yeah. So yeah, it's in uh, the Oxford Book of Ballads. It's yeah. in the Niles Ballad Book, which is American ballads. Yeah. Marrowbones, My Song is My Own, Folk Songs of the Upper Thames, 80 English Folk Songs by Sharp and Carpleys. So yeah, there's if you've got a folk song book, a ballad book, there's a high probability that you've got a version of this at home. Yeah, right. And actually, when I went on the Vaughan Williams Memorial Library website, which, which I always go in and check on, You've got 365 results that that crop up under the cruel mother. Oh, perfect. One for every day of the year. (laughs) What a happy year that would be. Maybe 2020. wouldn't it be miserable? (laughs) Sometimes it's called the cruel mother. Sometimes it's called the greenwood side. It's often called fine flowers in the valley. The duke's daughter's cruelty. All around the lonely ale. Old mother Lee. And as always, we could go on and on with that. Any other names that you've picked up on? Uh, the Lady of York. Did you say that one? Mm-hmm. I haven't got that. Um, yeah, I think that's pretty much all the ones that I've got. And it's really kind of widespread. When you kind of look at it on a map, uh, and you know, people ask me about this quite a lot, actually, um, people who listen to it. If you go on that, that Vaughan Williams Memorial Library website, you can look at these songs, where they come from, and you can also put them all on a google map so you can see those dots all sort of forming uh around the areas where the song was collected and this one really widespread around scotland and england and i think you know clearly um child was collecting it uh in scotland largely or or had versions sent to him from scotland yeah uh seven instances recorded in ireland and then like huge spades of collections across the sort of east coast of america as well yeah, loads of versions over there. And so it yeah, so it really traveled. I mean that and and that when you get into what the song is about that that's fascinating too, isn't it? It's like why is this so important to people that it's that it stayed uh in in sort of community repertoires as it's moved around. Yeah, it's it's interesting because especially when it deals with such a a dark subject. Sh- shall I give an overview of please do of the, yeah the story of the song for anyone who doesn't know it. The once lady that lived in York, all alone and alone, she proved a child be her own father's clock. Down by a green wood side Obviously there's there's a lot of different versions, but generally the story goes that um there is a young woman who is usually she's a lady, she's sort of higher born anyway, and she falls in love. Often it's her father's clerk, so somebody who is very much below her station and she becomes pregnant and in most versions she goes and uh, she gives birth down by the greenwood sidey is often the refrain and she gives birth to usually two babies there's different numbers in different versions and uh, she kills them 
um, almost as soon as they're born. The uh, the penknife that you often get in folk songs appears, and she, uh, yeah, she kills her children, and then later, some time has passed. You're not sure how much, and she sees a vision of her children, and uh, she says, uh, "If if you were mine, I'd dress you up in you know beautiful clothes," and. Mm-hmm. The children say we were yours and you killed us basically and make her have to accept what she's done and in various versions uh, the children then condemn her and say you know we're okay in heaven but you're going to kind of burn in the fires of hell so it's uh, yeah it is quite dark uh, mm. there's variations within those versions there's some where she ties them with ribbons once she's killed them to try and tie the ghosts down so that they can't haunt her um the some where there's a really lady macbeth-esque image where she's washing the blood from her hands and uh, she just she can't get it off and Sometimes, like I said, there's different numbers of children. I think sometimes people think there's some kind of imagery in the way that they're dressed as well, some meaning behind that. And But yeah, the essential part of the story is that she kills her babies and then they, they come back to haunt her. Yeah, I mean, it is... It is heavy, heavy material. And, and yeah, I think- it is. I think one of the fascinating things about it, and and I think actually what you've just said earlier um, really kind of struck home with me, is that it's not the sort of song you could really sing in terribly many other places other than a sort of folk audience situation. And and I wonder if perhaps a lot of folk audiences have, have become slightly numbed to this song because because it is so shocking when you put it down on on the table in front of yourself and you sort of think, this is what we're dealing with. Yeah, I I think you're right. And I think that's probably the case with quite a lot of the themes that we often sing about. Mm. We often sing about death. But I think, well, I wonder, death was much closer to people many, you know, even a hundred years ago. Yeah. People were much more used to it. And, you know, people had so many children because sadly they did die before they made it to adulthood Mm. and so perhaps the songs containing those sorts of themes might have been i don't know sort of part of dealing with those things that happened Mm. i mean less so this song i'm not saying that this is a normal thing to happen but maybe yeah when death is is a bit closer but I don't think it was that unusual thing to happen, and we can come on to that in a minute. I mean, mm. I think I th- the, the the fascinating thing that that um, that got that sort of caught me about this song is, and and actually thinking about it now, it might be a mistake. But the version that I heard being sung by Emily uh, then led me back to Cecilia Costello's version. Mm-hmm. Cecilia Costello being a, a source singer who. Um, who was from around the Digbeth area of Birmingham. So people will know the bullring in Birmingham, and she was pretty much born 
there. Um, and she was a, I think she was a nail maker initially, and then she was a brass polisher in a in a workhouse. But she she wasn't a, an, a sort of inmate of a workhouse. She was mm-hmm. she was working there. And I've read in various places that she she learnt her songs from um, from fr- from the, from the inmates in the workhouse, but also that she learnt them from her father, who uh, was an Irishman uh, from uh, from County Roscommon, and he came over to escape the famine. Um, and she was first generation of that family to be born in England, and she said of this particular song. Um, that he sang it, she said. I'm going to read it out. He sang it, she told us, with his eyes closed, hands clasped, bending over with great emphasis and drama, very slowly, and he used to frighten us children with it. Oh, God. And uh, and so, you, yeah, you've got this kind of... You know, my, <laughs> I'm just reading that, and I've got chills going up the back of yeah, my... Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> but um, she... Um, she she sings a version of it. it. In her version, there are three children, mm-hmm. uh, and it, and it's a really interesting sort of structure of the song. And I think now, thinking about it, that maybe she just left out a verse or forgot a verse or didn't know a verse. But the way that that her song sort of falls out is that you start off with with this this woman, as you say, who was um, uh, who who ends up pregnant by her her father's clerk, and she's repeatedly walking around her father's lawn her father's garden and she's uh, bemoaning the fact that she's you know she's got a sore back she's got you know she's clearly having a difficult pregnancy eventually in the third verse she gives birth and then it kind of stops the story stops and you don't there's no murder oh it kind of suddenly jumps it suddenly says years go years went by and one summer morn summer's morn all alone and alone, she saw three boys, they were playing bat and ball, down by a green wood side. And she sees them playing bat and ball, she sees these three kids. And so you're kind of like, if you're hearing it for the first time, you're just thinking, okay, so there's a woman, she's had, she's had a difficult pregnancy, she's given birth. We're scrolling forward a bit. She's seeing a few kids hanging out. And then suddenly these kids turn on her and say, you killed us. And as an audience member, you're just like, what? <laughs> like, like, it's like a huge plot reveal. Twist. Yeah. Like a, yeah, plot twist. Exactly. A huge reveal. And it's like, whoa, that comes out of nowhere. And, uh, and you know, when you go back and you you watch. You kind of listen to it. I said, I said, watch it then, as, I, as though I'm talking about the sixth well, sense. Well, it sounds or something like it sounds like, like the plot of a film or something, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, you go back and you kind of listen to it, and you're like, oh wow, how did I not guess that was coming <laughs> the first time I heard you it? You pulled out your long penknife all alone and alone, and there you took away our three lives down by a green that i mean it is quite filmic isn't it yeah I, th- I think it's it's so full of imagery i always think you sort of you see this unfold mm. yeah it's it really is a f- uh, and certainly as you know as 
as I said before, I sing it too. In it's in my repertoire, uh, more because it's from Birmingham, as am I, mm-hmm. than than anything else. And and it's one of those songs that I, fe- I I'm starting to feel a little uncomfortable singing because I'm not sure that, you know, I, it's one of those songs that I I, I really feel a, a woman should be singing. Um, and I'm sure we can come on to that a bit later. But um, I I when I'm singing it, it's, it's one that definitely scrolls almost on the cinematic screen in front of me and I find that I'm just narrating it and if I lose the plot or if I forget the words all I have to do is look at the screen in my head yeah absolutely I I completely agree have you um have you heard of Anna and Elizabeth yes um have you ever seen them uh this song I've seen them doing a sort of comedy duo version of themselves (laughs) oh (laughs) yeah Oh, Administrate. Not... It was called. It was fascinating. Oh <laughs> but wow! That's not okay, what you're no, I've about. not seen. I've not seen <laughs> that. But um, I saw them in Sheffield. Um, mm. I think. I think I'm right in saying it was their first UK tour, mm. and um, they they did this song by the name of Greenwood Sidey, mm. and they use these things called crankies, which mm. are they're little, almost storyboards. They're, I mean, they're beautiful pieces of art, which are sometimes um, lit. Sometimes they're sewn like beautiful, almost like long, thin tapestries. Mm. And sometimes they're um, more like shadows. With yeah, so they're lit, and you have these silhouettes of images. And the reason they're called crankies is because they start up all wound onto one reel and then they come across the front so you have a little panel that you can see and mm. then they're wound onto another wheel on the other side and you crank them round and the image moves along. Right, okay. And I saw them perform this song with the cranky and so you ha- you you genuinely see the images going along and oh, it wow. just, it was it's amazing. Uh, it might be on YouTube um, if people go and have a look. But mm. uh, they did it with a few different songs, and they're like beautiful pieces of art. And I guess maybe for me, because because I'm an artist and a musician, seeing those two things work so perfectly together mm. like that is yeah, amazing. She leaned her breast against a thorn, all alone and lonely. She had two pretty babes born Down by the greenwood side And the Furrow Collective have a really beautiful video as well. Theirs is Down by the Greenwood Side, sung yeah. by Rachel Newton, that one. And they have a really beautiful animation that um, just... Yeah, I, th- I guess everybody seems to find that these images work really well, even if you're not depicting the story exactly there's so much imagery to go with the ideas that are in there i mean i I suppose i suppose it's the the sheer weight and heaviness and um kind of a visceral nature of the content that that makes it quite so visual i mean it's unfortunately you know i don't have other folk songs that sort of uh, that i just watch the screen when i'm singing them i have one or two but it's interesting that this one is quite so nasty yeah, in terms of the imagery. Yeah, it stays in your head. 
it's just in your head, isn't it? Yeah. Once again, chills. Completely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm going to have to leave this room in a minute. I'm getting quite scared. Oh, I know. We should have recorded this really in the daytime, shouldn't we? <laughs> Not at night. <laughs> so let's, before we go any further. Yeah. Um, I want to just talk a little bit about what we know of the history of it, because, you know, it's, it's got some quite interesting bits and pieces here because, you know, Steve Roud is the man that you kind of go to if you want to really kind of get a no-nonsense version of how old it might be. Yeah, absolutely. That kind of thing. And in what he's written about it is um, that Child printed 13 versions, mainly from Scotland, and Bronson, who was the chap who picked up the tunes, got 56 yeah. tunes for it. So clearly, you know, in Scotland, fairly well known. Um, and he also talks about the fact that um, the earliest kind of printed version of it seems to be from about the 1760s. But it's quite rare because it's not, it doesn't really turn up on any other broadsides. So once again, just so people remember, broadsides being the printed sort of penny ballads that that sort of song hawkers would sell in the streets. And if something made it onto a broadside, it usually meant that it was, pretty popular and that other people might want to sing it and might want to buy it and so other printers might print a version of it and interestingly for a song that seems to have been pretty widespread this one didn't get printed very much i don't know if that's to do with its dark subject matter but didn't didn't make it there um although there is a kind of printed version under the title the duke's daughter's cruelty Actually, it's one of those great ones with a massive title. It's called The Duke's Daughter's Cruelty or The Wonderful Apparition of Two Infants Whom She Murthered, Murthered, not Murdered, and Buried in a Forest for to Hide Her Shame. It's catchy, isn't it? Yeah, it just nice. springs off the snappy, tongue, as you heard. Snappy title. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it has a lot of the, the, the sort of the verbal features uh, of the later songs, and that's, that's 1690. But then you've got let me just move my books around. You've got, uh, you've got Child saying that a chap called Christensen collected a version in 1870 in Denmark, which has remarkable similar qualities. And then you also uh, have Child talking about how it was collected in as early as 1808 in, uh, in Germany. Um, in similar versions yeah um, I had to look at some of those I think they're quite different have you because I think those are the ones where she's she's at church I think she's about to get married and then these children appear and doesn't say, turn up in a tr- in a tree trunk or something demanding yeah. to be taken to the mother yes and then they they go to this church and then um, they basically say we're your children and she says well if you are my children then um, basically may the devil take me and then the devil appears um, and does which <laughs> proves that they were hers it's, it's, I mean obviously another really strange and creepy story but that seems quite different to this story to me mm. but it's one of those ones as well that's um I mean, Child also mentions the Maiden, the Palmer being a song that that has lots, an earlier song that has lots of similarities. Yeah. And then you've got what's his name, 
old Bert Lloyd. Oh, yes. The more that I read about Bert Lloyd, the more that I, su- I suspect that he liked to jump to conclusions and didn't care <laughs> too much about checking out the source of those conclusions. But Bert Lloyd suddenly pops up and says, well, actually, these songs were brought over by Norsemen in Viking raids. And of, there doesn't appear to be any other <laughs> any other sort of evidence for that. Um, have you read uh, Peggy Seeger's um, memoir, First Time Ever? I've never done so, no. Um, it's an excellent book that I'm in the process of reading at the moment. But she talks about A.L. Lloyd and mm. um, obviously being in the in the folk clubs and all the work that they did around the same time. And she talks about how uh, he comes across very cheeky to me in what she writes about him. Mm. And that when he was singing a song, they had some rules about, you know, you couldn't sing the same song within however many weeks at their club. And so he'd stand up and then he'd just make up something about it being a different version or uh, <laughs> that he'd, he'd found this in such and such a place. So uh, from what she's written about him, that feels, yeah, that feels like it fits with his character. Well, what's quite funny with you saying that is that I've got these notes written down here is that, um, you know, A.L. Lloyd or Bert Lloyd goes this extra mile and tries to connect it to what he calls invading Norsemen. And then his <laughs> friend and Peggy Seeger's uh, husband, Ewan McColl, writes, Ballads, Ballad tales of infanticide almost identical to The Cruel Mother have been collected in Denmark and Germany, though no conclusion has been drawn from these data concerning the possible origin of them. So he's almost sort of like stamping out what his sort of cheeky friend is uh, trying yeah. to suggest. I like to imagine that anyway, that that's the sort of dynamic, (laughs) even if that's not true. (laughs) Yeah. Something interesting that that Lloyd said was about, um, I think it was him, um, was that he said about this game song. Um, Mm, Yes, I did read that. Talk about that a bit. Well, so he said that there was a version that it was called The Lady Dressed in Green, hmm. uh, which went, there was a lady dressed in green, fair alaire lido, there was a lady dressed in green down by the greenwood side And uh, he says, I'll uh, quote him. The song describes how the lady kills her baby with a penknife, tries to wash off the blood, goes home to lie down, is aroused by three bobbies, so I assume policeman mm-hmm. at the door who extract a confession from her and rush her off to prison and that was the end of mrs green i assume that's the last line of the song it is a ring game two children in the middle impersonate mrs green and the baby following the action of the song the children in the ring dance around singing the refrains until the bobbies rush in and seize the mother when the ring breaks up so um i thought i'd that was the first time i'd found that out i'd never realized that it was a a game song uh, and i have an interesting book in amongst my collection called the law and language of school children by mm. iona and peter opie can't remember where i found it but it seemed like it might be interesting and so i had a little look in here and there's another version that they've got which um says in a more somber mood so this is about children and ghoulism so i guess a bit more about obsessions with dark stuff 
In a more sombre mood, they tell the tragic story of Mother Lee, a tale dating perhaps from the 19th century and reminiscent of the old traditional ballad, The Cruel Mother. So the structure is like this. Uh, There was an old girl called Old Mother Lee, Old Mother Lee, Old Mother Lee. There was an old girl called Old Mother Lee under the walnut tree. Hmm. And uh, so it goes through. She had a baby, then a carving knife. She ran it through the baby's heart. Then the rich red blood went running down. Then the corny cops came running down. And then they strung her up and hung her high, hung her high, hung her high. They strung her up and hung her high under the walnut tree. And the last, the, the bit about where it's collected, it says, version recited in deadpan manner by boy aged about 11, Waterloo, London. At the end of each verse, one finger was quietly raised, pointing up to the walnut tree. Ooh. Completely terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> but totally, you know, what you were saying earlier about the idea that um, that death may have been more around yeah well and i think children i think there's probably quite a lot of children's songs and children's games Mm. that probably do have death in but you don't really notice it necessarily Mm. but i guess this is this is darker than that because it's because it's to do with children and and that the, the fact that they're they are murdered which I th- well, I said that I find it interesting because it's sung by women so much and it's about women. Mm. And it's there's a lot of other stuff to sort of unpack in amongst it as well. It's it's the fact that this woman is she's all on her own with it. So many of the the refrains in different versions are all alone and alone Leo. Mm. And I always think about that and that you know she becomes pregnant by this man and but he's nothing to do with what then happens she's completely by herself she's got the the class structure meaning that she probably would be cast out if uh, if she had the babies and it was known and the fact that they were they would be illegitimate children and it just she would have been so disapproved of and the fact that she takes the most drastic decision that you could all by herself in the mm. woods like mm. it's i mean i sing it and i i guess i don't think too much about that when i sing it but when i read it when i think about it it's it's so, it's very striking the mm the situation that this woman is put into and reading about it the fact that this is a woman who's um sort of higher class apparently the the thought was that maybe that would then be like a warning to the women who are lower class because they'd probably find it even harder and yeah in the um my song is my own a hundred women's songs which Mm. is by Kathy Henderson with Frankie Armstrong and Sandra Kerr. Mm. Uh, it's an absolutely fantastic book. Um, mm. It's got some amazing songs in here. Um, and they've written, women with illegitimate children have always had to face heavy disapproval and infanticide was not uncommon. 
But as the song bears out, it was never as simple as that or free from conflict and regret. Maybe it was this what would I do if it happened to me aspect that made The Cruel Mother the most popular ballad about childbearing, Mm. which I think is really interesting because, yeah, the most popular ballad about childbearing is about bearing them and then their death. Mm. So, yeah, I find that, yeah, it's tragic, but but it is interesting, that idea that perhaps people sang it because they did think gosh, I, I hope that's never me. I hope I never have to make that decision. Yeah. It's something that that, that Steve Rowd picks up again. Um, I mean, he gives a little bit of historical context to, what, to some of what you've just said, actually. He says, in the real world of the 17th century, the authorities were increasingly aware of the problem of the killing of babies, and infanticide was distinguished from other forms of murder only in, in 1624. It was also illegal to conceal a birth because it was usually impossible at a later date to distinguish a stillbirth from the victim of murder. Gosh. I also read about that, that it was um, for unmarried women specifically, Mm. it was illegal to to not disclose a stillbirth. But I don't know about married women. Mm. Yes, well, he talks a little about that as well, but he also says... How does he? Um, he also points out that um, that the cruel mother, whilst perhaps the most famous of these songs, um, was not by any means the only one. Yeah. And he picks up a broadside uh, from 1670 that was called "No Natural Mother But a Monster." Oh God, they're they're pretty damning, aren't they? The songs they are damning. Um, and also the maid in the Palmer, a song called "Mary Hamilton." Uh, they these have the the same kind of theme i i, th- I think there's an interesting thing that's that i seem to remember i think it was emily portman who was who who was saying this as her the preamble to when she sung this at the folk club that i run she was talking about the possibility of this dealing with with postnatal depression and it being yeah. something that wasn't understood at the time and so there's the idea that the the children could have been done away with because the mother didn't didn't have any you know choice or or felt that she didn't have any choice and uh, had no help as you've pointed out the the all alone and the lonelyo which you know when you when you say it like that as you've just said it it suddenly becomes desperately sad in a way that doesn't it yeah in a way that uh, that I don't think had really struck me quite until tonight yeah uh, thanks for that sorry <laughs> oh dear I I do think that what what Emily says seems to have a lot of well I just think it's really valid I think also the fact that the children reappear to her Mm. um it's you could interpret that as rather than it being haunting her it could be you know that she's that she is seeing things that she's hallucinating Mm. which is quite possibly part of postnatal depression I'm not an expert Mm. uh, by any means but it feels like that would fit with those ideas. I mean, Emily speaks about it really well. And uh, she has a module uh, at the Newcastle Folk Degree looking at folk song, I think, specifically in gender. So, yeah, she would probably add hugely interesting points to this discussion. But she's got a, a beautiful song uh, called 
Borrowed and Blue, mm. which is a response song to The Cruel Mother. Mm. And uh, it it's more trying to see it from her point of view, um, having these Ill- illegitimate children and then how she feels. I've built a bower in a high, high tree Lined with bridal lace and covered with rue Borrowed and blue, borrowed and blue All alone and lonely What are these two bald red chicks Come screaming from my body Clawing, pouring to be fed I've turned from glade to factory The mist is rising all around I've lost sight of my babies So easily toppled to
I think that folk songs are very relevant now and you just have to look at them with like with a slightly different eye sometimes but um the way that she writes I, I mean I aspire to it she says uh, what are these two bald red chicks come screaming from my body clawing pouring to be fed I've turned from glade to factory wow yeah so incredibly powerful and I think yeah really seeing this from a different perspective rather than uh, the version that I sing is really damning and it doesn't even have originally I added a couple of couple of verses on the beginning but the original version that Williams collected um it was it starts as um she, she laid these babes across her lap Jenny poor gentle rosemary she swore she, they would never suck milk nor pap when the dew lies under the mulberry tree. Mm. So you you never get, you never establish this dynamic of her falling in love with somebody who's not in the same class as her. So it, it, you don't you don't get that bit at the beginning, and then there's there's the deaths, and then the the blood that she can't wash from her hands, and then uh, yeah, at the end it is just very damning. Mm. You know we're we're in heaven it's all sweet and pretty and you will never be here and then you're going to hell it's just super damning yeah i think that's one of the things that uh that raud picks up on actually is that there are it's one of the main differences between uh the different schools uh, of approach with this song some of them are missing that initial uh opening bit that sort of sets you up with this woman being um having been got with child by by the father's clerk and that kind of thing and, and you're just presented with this woman who who just has these children and away you yeah. go can i just spin back a little bit there's a quick there's something that, I, that you said earlier that i really wanted to just ask you about yeah of course and you said uh you know one of the things that you think about folk songs is that they they can be seen as contemporary and they can be um you know they do continue and they and they reflect on effectively you were saying they reflect on they can reflect on on modern day life as well yeah absolutely. Uh, and it's and it depends how you sort of you know you you have to look at them perhaps with a different yeah, it's eye. kind of how you how you frame it i think yeah yeah uh, with this song how do you do that that's a really good question well i guess i mean thinking about right now there's been so many stories of um, during the pandemic, um, women having to give birth without their partners there, mm. which I think is um, really upsetting. Mm. And um, people having to cope with um, things like stillbirths or miscarriages without their partners there. Mm. Yeah, so I mean, right now, that's what it makes me think about mm. um which, it's that, that, the lonely thing again that, that, as yeah. you say, that doing the things on your own so yeah i mean i was thinking as you were saying it that you know you can <clears throat> you can take these songs as literally as you like but you know if you want to reflect it onto modern life you're not necessarily looking at the infanticide part of this song you're yeah looking, not necessarily you're looking at well, the plight of the woman who has to do this alone yeah, and seeing her as a human, not mm. as, you know, like that other version that you said where it said, you know, basically not a mother but a monster. Mm. 
um, seeing her as a human being and trying to trying to work out what on earth to do. And I I imagine in the song, I don't think it's said, but I imagine her to be really young, mm. which could be the case, especially when these songs would have first been being sung. Mm. It may well have really been a, a girl, essentially, having children and having to deal with that all mm. by herself. So I think, yeah, I mean, even just thinking about single mothers or single parents, like makes it, makes you think about these things, just mm. so much having to do by yourself and those hard decisions. It's funny, make. isn't it? You get, you take, you when you talk about it in this sense, you know, somebody was asking me over the weekend, is it okay to edit a folk song um, or should you just sing them exactly as you find them in the text? Um, and, you know, I'm increasingly of the opinion that you, you you take from it what you need and you, you know, you use the song uh, and you use what you can do with the song to further it and to, to carry it forward. Yeah. Um, but when you're thinking about a song like this and you're talking about it in terms of, as you say, talking about it in terms of the woman being a human rather than a monster, even the title becomes difficult. If, yeah. If you're going um, out singing The Cruel Mother. Yeah, you're right. Um, I often feel that with these songs, we ha- I mean, we have the luxury in the, the way that we perform that people are we have such amazing listening audiences Mm. and they want to hear about the songs when we introduce them so I usually sort of contextualize my songs when I introduce them yeah um which then because then I might sing something completely unedited relatively I mean, I'd say with The Cruel Mother, I do sing that relatively unedited. I've added a couple of verses on the beginning, but they're inspired by other versions yeah. that are around. Um, I certainly haven't tried to like modernise that one. Hmm. But then I think just by your introduction, you can then make people think differently about it. Yeah. But that said, the way that we consume music, like... If you look at the sleeve notes on my album while you're listening to the song, then you might see what it's about. Or you might, if you're at a gig, but if you're just listening on Spotify or something like that, mm-hmm. then are you going to be able to get that from just hearing it? Yeah. Perhaps not. So Difficult. yeah, maybe maybe there should be new names for it or new edits but generally speaking i have to have to agree that i feel that you take what you need from a song and you you change it so that it's yours that's that's how i think of them um somebody said something which i felt remarkably offended by uh, <laughs> one time where they said uh something about like versions of folk songs and things and they said oh yeah i forgot that all folk songs are covers covers that all folk all folk bands do covers and i felt like saying you don't get it mm. <laughs> a cover is 
I feel like a cover is an impersonation mm. of somebody else, of another song. Whereas what we might have the lyrics, we might have the tune, but we then have to interpret it. And so the the interpretation the of the singer is so important that I think that makes it so different from a, a cover song. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've never thought about folk songs as, as covers. I mean, I can see kind of why somebody might jump to that conclusion. Yeah, but you're right. I, I mean, I, I use a quite a, you know, I've heard this used quite a lot by other people as well, but uh, I, I do kind of take some comfort in it but i do i find the idea that with a with a traditional song that effectively that song comes and stays with you for a while is how i always think about it yeah and you you, and in, you, kind you inhabit of, it you inhabit well it yeah you inhabit you, it and perhaps. it inhabits you and you you know it 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 kind of is especially if you're slightly obsessed with it all uh like i think mm. the people who come on this podcast are yeah um <laughs> It inhabits you and it kind of obsesses you for a while and you, you know, I've got a song that I'm learning at the moment called The Little Grey Oss and I've never ridden a horse and I've never played gambling, gone gambling in a pub in in Victorian times. But I can picture myself doing it all the time and this song just lives in yeah. my head while I'm learning it. And, um, and so it comes and stays with you for a period. And then, you know, whether it's because you've passed away yourself or you've just gone off and done other things, it kind of leaves you. And it'll, uh, hopefully, yeah. during the period that you've, that it stayed with you, you've managed to do something with it that inspires somebody else to pick it up and allow it to come and live with them for a little while. I think that's a, a really beautiful way of thinking of it. And I think sometimes songs, songs leave you of their own volition as well. You know, I don't think it necessarily means that you might not have gone off to do something else, but the song suddenly doesn't mean what it used to mean to you. Yeah. Or it becomes, it it doesn't quite seem as relevant anymore for whatever reason. And you you move on to to different songs, whereas other ones really stay with you. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. There was a lady in our town Jenny, poor, gentle Rosemary She courted a man till her apron grew round When the dew lies under the mulberry tree She leaned her back against a thorn Jenny, poor, gentle Rosemary When the dew lies under the mulberry tree. We've talked a little bit about the one version uh, and and Cecilia Costello. Yeah. Who was, uh, just to round her up a little bit, she was collected from, I believe, in uh, in 1954. And, and you can, you know, she's one of the great, great singers in that she had an amazing repertoire, huge repertoire of songs great double albums released um 
which I have on my shelf behind me. Uh, and, you know, just a, a really interesting singer, just in that I think she's one of those people that when most non-folkies sort of come to someone like Cecilia Costello, they're just going to go, "What? what's all this about? You've got a really kind of croaky old woman just sort of, I don't get it. But there's just something about her that's hugely important and also just... The great thing about about her is that they filmed some of her singing as well in her little flat in Digbeth, and you can find that on YouTube. And she's got these sparkly eyes, even though she's in her in her final years, and she's clearly just delighted that somebody's uh, been taking an interest in in her songs. Um, so she she sung the, the the cruel the cruel mother, as we mentioned earlier, that she learnt from her father, and that's one version. Um, and that tends to be the version that goes all alone and alone, Leo, that that little refrain that comes mm-hmm. throughout the song. Then we've got this other version, which, you know, you've recorded a version of it. And I know Faye Heald has just put out on on her latest album, I think. Uh, and I think that I, I may be wrong, but I think that those two are, are related uh, more closely than than to the Cecilia Costello one. Mm-hmm. Yours comes from Alfred Williams. Yes, and Alfred Williams is quite important to you because, uh, in a, for a number of reasons, right? You you spent quite a lot of time with Alfred Williams' songs, so tell us a little about about who he was, and if you know anything about how he collected this song, that would be great too. Yeah, um, so I grew up in a, a little village called Mainty, which is uh, in Wiltshire, mm. uh, in North Wiltshire. And there's not very much there at all, not even streetlights. But uh, it was quite a nice place to to grow up, actually, because it was uh, very, very rural. And um, I, I didn't sing songs from where I grew up while I was growing up. Mm. Uh, it was only when I moved to Glasgow that I became interested in songs from where I was from Mm -hmm. so I think I'd been I'd I'd done some research and found some songs probably on uh, the Vaughan Williams Memorial Library website and so I'd learned some things and I'm sure at some point I I sang somewhere I think it was at Shrewsbury Folk Festival and Jim Murray was there and Mm. he said something about how um it was interesting. I think maybe you spoke, was it? I think it was one of the podcasts with him about people singing in their own voice and mm. how much effort actually it takes to sing in your own voice. Mm. And I remember him saying something about, you know, keep singing how you sing because it's, it's, it's you. Mm. And that my accent from being slightly wiltshire occasionally came out in through the vowels or something, which I'd never... I'd never thought about because nobody thinks that they have any sort of accent themselves. Mm. My voice has changed now because I lived in Glasgow and then in Canada for a bit. And then I've been in Sheffield for ages. Mm. But um, I think that was partly what made me think maybe of of songs from where I was from. And also just that um, moving away made where I was from seem more interesting and like it had more going for it, I suppose. <laughs> when you're a teenager and you live in a little village, you, you know, you don't think anything of it at all. 
And then I was in this big city in Glasgow and um, experiencing amazing folk music up there, which yeah. was quite different. And um, yeah, so I thought I would find out a bit more about songs from near where I grew up. And I stumbled upon the fact that Alfred Williams was a guy who collected around the area that he called the Upper Thames. Hmm. And he's got this book called Folk Songs of the Upper Thames, which has hundreds of books. When was he um, collecting? Uh, he was collecting around the time of the war, actually. Right. The First World War. So slightly uh, after your Cecil Sharps and people like that. Yeah, he was a, a little bit later. But um, he was interesting in that he... He wasn't an upper class person like like your sharps of this world mm. or you know or child a proper scholar mm. um Williams was from the place where he collected the songs right he's from South Marston um just outside of Swindon, and he he grew up i mean he i say he grew up he was poor his whole life. Uh, he was described by a neighbour who remembered him from when he was an adult as uh, the family were what they called mouse poor. Wow. And um, But he start his first job was when he was, um, I think, five, something like that. He was very young and he was um, a human scarecrow on one of the farms. Wow. So he would have been playing, you know, those clackety things, <laughs> uh, rattles that yeah. spin round. He'd have probably had one of those and scared off the birds. Wow. And I think, oh, I can't remember. I, I've done presentations on Williams and some of the um, some of the facts have disappeared from mm. my brain right now. But I think he was 14 when he started working at the railway works at Great Western Railways mm. Mm. in Swindon. So I guess that contextualizes him a little bit more. He He wasn't coming at this as somebody from the outside saying, let's go and see what these common people sing. He was there living it. Mm. Um, and he was really interested in rural life in the area. And that was sort of more why he was into the songs, because he thought they reflected the the lives of those people. Mm. So he did go around on his bicycle going and collecting songs. Um, <laughs> and uh, he did this. Well, he, I mean, he's an amazing man. Uh, while he was working at Great Western Railways, he uh, taught himself uh, loads of languages uh, as well as maths. I think there's a story about him when he was learning Greek, something like that. He was he would write the letters on his. Um, he was a hammer man, so like those enormous stamping machines that stamped out metal. Mm. And on the hammer, he would um, in Greece he would write out his his letters that he was learning or words. And like other people thought he was a bit pretentious for doing that. And so they'd come and wipe it all off. And so he'd do it again and they'd wipe <laughs> it off. And so apparently eventually he uh, painted it on in white paint so that they couldn't do it, which I thought I thought was quite fun and kind of gives another impression of what he might have been like. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, he, he collected songs and they were put into uh, the Wiltshire and Gloucestershire standard 
and uh, published there. And then they became Folk Songs of the Upper Thames, mm. which has, uh, not quite sure how many songs in here, um, but maybe a maybe hundred, something like that. Mm. Uh, maybe a few more. Um, but 250 of them were printed in the paper. And then there are, I think that I think I've got the numbers. Another seven hundred and fifty-five songs. Whoa! Uh, went I know <laughs> all went to the Swindon Public Library on his death, and so they are now all accessible online Amazing. through what I believe is called the um, Swindon and Wiltshire History Centre. Right. Okay. Uh, online, so yeah, you can find those uh, on there. He was and busy. Yeah, I mean, it's a huge thing to have done, to have collected so many songs. And he, because he's not just interested in the songs themselves, you get a, you get some nice... He, he wrote this amazing introduction to the book, mm. which I recommend to all of your listeners. It's completely fascinating. And if you're, if you're interested in the singers and, like, where the songs were performed and why people sang them and things like that. I, th I think he's really useful for that. Mm. Um, one of the amazing things that I found out about, which uh, I've, I'd never heard of before, was he talks about singing matches. Singing um, matches? Yeah. So because like, obviously we all know that folk singing is a competition. Mm. So <laughs> um, shall I read a little bit from his introduction of what he said? So he said, the folk songs were exceedingly numerous. There must have been thousands of one sort and another in circulation. This is no exaggeration. I have frequently come into contact with those who have assured me that such and such a one knew from 200 to 300 pieces. And I myself have positive proof of the fact. It was common years ago during wet weather when labour out of doors was at a standstill for the rustics. Oh, yeah, he doesn't say common people, but he does say rustics. <laughs> uh, for the rustics to assemble at the inn inns and have singing matches in order to see not which could sing best, but which could sing most. <laughs> and he goes on to say that... Um, they there were seldom more than two competing upon any day, uh, usually because uh, they didn't have time for anyone else. Yeah, I suppose if you've got a competition that depends on how many songs you know, then that could go on for weeks. Oh, I mean, yeah. It's he says of Gabriel Zillard, Zillard of Hannington. He said, it is said that he would unbutton his shirt collar at six in the morning and sing for 12 or even 18 hours if necessary. If necessary. I can't ever see when that's necessary. But anyway, uh, with, uh, <laughs> with the perspiration streaming down his cheeks, <laughs> which is completely amazing. And he talks about like the the range of the songs and there's an infinite variety See, this is what life would be like if you didn't have the distractions of digital things oh my god yeah if we took off all the time that we all spend on facebook like, <laughs> just wake incredible. up in the morning and unbutton my shirt and off i go yeah <laughs> I, can't, I mean the, just on a practical level the strength of your voice to keep going yeah 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 um, he says they were very strong and had voices like organs while their throats were lubricated with frequent draughts of ale. <laughs> I just think it's completely amazing. And 
So just big yeah. singing piss ups, really. Yeah, exactly. But it wasn't. It's not a communal thing where, you know, one person takes a go and everybody joins in. It is a competition. He doesn't say what you won, but <laughs> uh, a considerable amount of pride, of, I would think. Yeah, I just. I mean, it sounds completely mad. Um, he was, he talks a bit about rough songs, uh, so rude songs, basically. Mm. Uh, he said that there were, besides the legitimate pieces, there were many rough songs in circulation. I make no apology for them. I do not <laughs> know, indeed, that any is needed. They were rude, but not altogether bad. <laughs> Which I think, again, is just like the fact he, he tackles that, that he, he mentions it. Yeah is really interesting and that he gives his opinion. Um, so he was he taking down sort of biographical detail as well? Because that often escapes a lot of the other uh, collectors, doesn't it? Yes, yeah, some people. So there's some people that he was particular friends with. I've got a great picture with him with one of his singers somewhere. Um, but he he does write little notes about who he's collected from and a bit about them. Um, and it, this introduction is when he really talks about people and you get an idea of, um, of what he thinks of people. And he says things like, um, he categorizes like maybe one person, the style of song that they particularly sing. Um, and yeah, what the ones that sort of belong to them. So for the cruel mother, he says... He calls it, she laid these babes across her lap. Right. Because that's the first line. Mm. And this comes towards the back of the book because he considers it to be a fragment. He doesn't think it's complete. Right. So he says, this interesting fragment was given me by Mrs. M. Bond of Quennington. She learnt it at her mother's knee as a child, but had forgotten the opening verses and I cannot find anyone else who remembers the piece. The story, however, is current under other forms and there is a Scottish version, though dissimilar from ours. So I think that's quite a, an amazing image for a song that is called She Laid These Babes Across Her Lap. The fact that she learned it at her mother's knee as a child. Yeah. I think is... It's really interesting and like when you think about the content and everything that it's like what you were saying about being haunted Cecilia um, learning that from her from her father and I feel like I've seen um, I've seen other references from different people who had learned this yeah that people said that they had learned them um, at their their parents knee so it's obviously one that people like to to pass down i think there was often you know a warning that went with it you know don't be like this woman yeah it's it's so that they saw the the moral of the story um, i think some of the versions of the song actually have like a moral verse at the end don't they mm. it sort of says come all you young women and you know take warning Mm. by this woman's actions mm. moving into the sort of final part of the little podcast that we're doing here because this is now probably going to be the longest podcast we've ever done i'm just interested in versions that you've uh that you've heard that you've liked like sort of modern recordings your version yourself is one of the first versions that i heard and, and you sung it with emily 
Yes, uh, um, we recorded that in uh, in the corridor at my partner Tom. Uh, Tom Wright is in um, the Magpie Arc. Oh yeah, uh, he recorded us in the yeah the stairway of his studio so that we could get a nice bit of creepy reverb going on. Yeah, it's a great recording. Really like that one. The, who else have you got? Other versions that you've that, that you particularly admired or. Yeah, I the the version I mentioned by Anna and Elizabeth Greenwood Sidey, I absolutely love. Mm. Um, uh, the Furrow Collectives that I also said yeah. is great, and Emily's response song. Uh, Lizzie Higgins is another. Uh, there's another version by her, um, and Bellowhead have got Greenwood Side, mm. which is the I guess the big band pop version of a infanticide song (laughs) which is fascinating that that's that's the point that you can take it to yeah which i think is amazing yeah i mean i think it's it's testament isn't it i mean i said much earlier on in this podcast i said that i'm i find it something that i'm almost uncomfortable singing myself as a man singing this woman's version of the song what's unavoidable about the cruel mother certainly the well for me is the is the melody it's that kind of repeated Mm. haunting refrain hypnotic in many ways um yeah it is and and you know to go right back to the beginning of the podcast we were talking about sort of how this song works for a folk audience in a folk club whether you know it under the, t- the name The Cruel Mother or, or whatever it might be, or whether you think you know the song or not, as soon as you hear that all alone and alone refrain, you just know that you know it. You know that you've always known it in a sense. Yeah, and, and uh, people sing. They do. They always sing with this. And Yeah, and it just ho- hooks you in. And, and, you know, again, f- for me, it's the words are incredibly moving but they they take on an extra power because of the melancholy in that in that melody yeah yeah i think you're right what are your favorite versions um i mean i like i say i i've i think actually the, the version that i like the most was was i heard uh emily portman sing it unaccompanied in my folk yeah. club and i was just spellbound by it um and it led me off to Cecilia Costello so for me it was a, it was mm. again to, to to use that phrase it was a gateway song because um from there i was into Cecilia Costello from Cecilia Costello i was realizing that i was listening to songs from my own town from there i started getting really fascinated in birmingham songs and from there i started recording albums of birmingham songs and you know i'm about to go and record my second album of birmingham songs so it's it's, it's amazing important. how how it took you into all of that isn't it it is. only takes one one amazing performance some a really particularly striking performance mm. and it can really take you into the whole world of old folk songs yeah, you're there. You're just, yeah, straight straight down the rabbit hole again. 
Yeah. And I think um, Emily's version from your club, I think this this exact moment is on YouTube, I think. Well, hopefully it will get some more people going down that rabbit hole. Mm. Shall I, I've got an interesting, one, one final thing that I think is interesting about you saying about singing the song and how you how you feel about that mm. as a man mm. i um i i mean i always sing songs that would have been considered men's songs mm. and absolutely have no qualms about it at all um but i find it quite interesting how williams talks about them mm. um I, I assume he'd think of this one as as a woman's song because he collected it from a woman mm. um which yeah, so he says, the women's songs was chiefly the sweetest of all. This is as befits the feminine nature. I mean, I would take issue with that, but there we go. Uh, they were rarely sung by the males. The women might sing some of the men's pieces, but the men seldom sang those of the women. Mm. They appreciated their sweetness, but they felt that the songs did not belong to them. Yeah, that's... Which I think is really interesting because I think it says what you're saying about it, like... It's beautiful and such an amazing song, but there's just this little bit where you think, "Ooh." Well, it's a strange. I'm not sure one. if it's mine. It's a strange thing. It's um, you know, there are songs that I have in my repertoire that that I sing that are quite clearly meant to be sung by women. There's a song that I recorded on my last album that's called Colin's Ghost, and Colin's mm-hmm. Ghost is all about a woman who goes out and finds, you know, she goes she goes looking for a ghost, and it's. Uh, that that she's heard of and she's inquisitive so she goes searching for this ghost and it just turns out it's Colin the shepherd and he's just trying to pull her really uh, <laughs> <laughs> and it's just a, a great comedy song and so I've got no worries singing about that because it's a comedy song and it doesn't matter who sings it, it yes it's in the women in the woman's voice but you're just telling the story of a song um I in the past week or so I've just released a single that I recorded of a song called Mary Ashford's Tragedy and Mary um, Ashford's yeah. Tragedy is a Brummy song, a uh, Birmingham song, and it's a true story, and it's a true story of a woman defiled and murdered, uh, and then the man got away with it. Uh, and it's it's horrible. I mean, it's a dark, dark song. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in a sense, you kind of, you know, you, you come to it and you think, do I want to be singing this song? Um, uh but if I if I don't sing this song and I just leave it in the archives, doesn't this 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 story deserve to be told? There's almost like yeah. you get this kind of sense that this woman's poor woman's fate was put into song, and then nobody's singing it. So she's yeah. you know her 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 terrible fate and her her life are forgotten. And you know, 160 years has passed since 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 she died at least. Uh, so I'm not sure that anybody else is particularly bothered by that, but it certainly caught my attention but but then when I was sitting down to sing it I was like I cannot sing this because this is a song from a woman's ghost talking about how she's been attacked and all of these kind of things and if I'm Mm. thinking about whether I'm going to sing it or not well I've got to get somebody else to sing it and so I did so I got Birmingham singer Catherine Priddy to come and record it for me so that uh, yeah that fits perfectly doesn't it yeah I, I, I do think though that we've I would hope that we've come further than, you know, only being able to sing a man's song as a man or a woman's song as a woman. Because, um, I mean, as we know, gender is so much more than just 
one or the other. Mm. And I think that the fact that we're talking about all of these complexities that mm. go into this song is is part of it. It's, you know, like a hundred years ago when Williams was collecting, this song would have probably just terrified the men and they'd have thought, oh, that's that's women's problems mm. and wouldn't be able to to tackle it. Mm. But I think talking about them and then interpreting them and, you know, sensitively thinking about all of these things is can only be a, a good thing in keeping the songs going and if it creates more conversations about these interesting things. And I think also if it gives more women's voices strength and to to get them out to an audience we don't want i don't want all of the the songs that everybody is hearing as folk songs to all be men's voices even if they are sung by a man's voice if that makes mm. sense that you can you know you can amplify these these women and these songs by singing them i think that's probably how i feel about it mm. Really, really interesting. Lots of food, food for thought, I think, certainly for me, for me right now. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I hadn't thought about it, certainly in terms of, as you say, I mean, that's a great example of a folk song being brought into modern times, just in even in the sense that you're talking about gender fluidity there and um, mm. and how the singing of this song might fit into that. But I get the sense that that's probably a conversation for a whole other podcast. I think there are some other songs that would be really appropriate for that. Um, that I'm, yeah, I'm sure there's other people who would love to take on those topics. Come too. back and talk to me about it sometime soon. Yeah, absolutely. I would love to talk to you. Maybe next time I will choose something that is a little lighter. Well, you know, as you said, folk audiences are, are used to this kind of thing, and it may be a, a particular dark sub subject matter, but I kind of think. I think it needs to be talked about. And we've done it. Yeah, We've managed. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time, Rosie. Oh, not at all. This, I mean, I can talk about old songs for a really long time, as I've discovered. Uh, so I would love to come back and chat to you about something else again. And I'm really looking forward to hearing all of your conversations with everybody else who's uh, coming on the show as well. Brilliant. We'll make it happen. Thanks so much. Thanks, John. Now, as I said at the top of the recording, this is the last episode from the first series of the Old Songs podcast. Uh, we've managed 13 and a bit episodes in just under 10 months, which is not bad going, but it's been pretty exhausting, I've got to say. Never fear, though, it's just a short break, and I hope to return with more conversations in 2021. To sing us out for this series, then, here's Rosie Hood with her unaccompanied version of The Cruel Mother. It's of a lady in our town Jenny, poor gentle Rosemary She courted a man till her apron grew round When the dew lies under the mulberry tree She leaned her back against a thorn Jenny, poor gentle Rosemary, and their two little babies were born. When the dew lies under the mulberry tree, 
She laid these babes across her lap. Jenny, poor gentle Rosemary, she swore they should never suck milk nor pap. When the dew lies under the mulberry tree, she tore their little dresses apart. Jenny, poor gentle Rosemary, she stabbed those babies to the heart. When the dew lies under the mulberry tree, she bore these babies to the brook. Jenny, poor gentle Rosemary, she vowed she would bury them down in the deep. When the dew lies under the mulberry tree, she let her penknife into the brook. Jenny, poor gentle Rosemary, she thought that the blood had never forsook. When the dew lies under the mulberry tree She went to the brook to wash her hands Jenny, poor gentle Rosemary The more that she washed, the more it came on When the dew lies under the mulberry tree Oh babes, oh babes, when you were mine Jenny, poor gentle Rosemary You were dressed in silks and satin so fine When the dew lies under the mulberry tree Oh mother, oh mother, when we were thine Jenny, poor gentle Rosemary We never were dressed in silk so fine When the dew lies under the mulberry tree Oh heaven, it is a sweet, pretty place Jenny, poor gentle Rosemary it's where thy body shall never take ease When the dew lies under the mulberry tree Oh hell, it is a fiery place Jenny, poor gentle Rosemary It's where thy body shall burn in a blaze when the dew lies under the mulberry tree.